0: On the trillion thing, I've always been for a harder line. We have a pretty good pretext now because they've just there's just been an assassination I saw that. I know. and the sons of pictures are blaming us for it. He was, was blaming the CIA. They're blaming the CIA. Why would he assassinate? Well, A well, hey, couldn't be a yeah. CIA is too incompetent to do it, if you That's But they did try to assassinate somebody, took three attempts and he left for three weeks afterwards.
1: history of violence the podcast where we do deep dives in histories assassinations affairs crimes coups conspiracies cover-ups terrors and trials except for a trial i think we've got pretty much all of that covered with this oh
0: yeah 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 I thought you meant on the podcast channel i'm like we did a trial remember the rosenbergs and <laughs> hop
1: i'm your co-host isaac
0: i'm your co-host peter
1: and uh today we're, we're talking about the passing uh well not the passing but uh you know, a retrospective on a longtime mm. friend of the show.
0: Yeah, cue the cue the Paul Walker uh, song. Okay. Uh, yeah, that one because we were all sad about him.
1: Henry Kissinger, folks. Yeah, he's been dead for a while, but we don't make episodes fast.
0: Henry the K. Yeah.
1: So on November 29th of uh, last year, 2023, uh, Henry Kissinger, longtime friend of the show, I'm happy to report to our listeners and, and readers, well, probably already know this.
0: Mm-hmm died. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, he did not die in the dock at The Hague or before a People's Tribunal or languishing in a prison in Cambodia, Vietnam, Cyprus, India, Chile, or any of the other locales where he perpetrated mass murder in the service of American imperial power, or his own venality, or both. Uh, no, he died in the comfort of his own bed after a long and frankly very, very charmed life in which he ate better food, drank better wine, and had more romantic partners than anyone you know.
0: Hey, speak for yourself, pal.
1: So I say he won on on that count, on that score.
0: He's right about the wine. I only I mean, drink rock gut.
1: You know, rock gut, it, it makes you stronger every time. That's
0: right. Yeah, that's why I drink it.
1: It just it's strengthens different. the gut. Yeah. The rock gut, it's a misleading name.
0: Well, in the long term.
1: Mm. Um, but Henry Kissinger's death does mean one positive thing, uh, which is there's no defamation anymore. You can't Defame a corpse, so you can say whatever you want now about this venal, psychopathic thug, because he's dead.
0: Now, was he was he litigious towards his many critics in life?
1: Oddly, for the most part, no, except when it looked like it was going to. He he had a very keen sense of what was actually close. Like he never sued Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, Hitchens was just like you are a murderer. Yeah, but. He also may have been keeping a low profile in in his litigation at that time, right? Because it looked like he might actually get you know picked up for questioning at least somewhere. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whereas uh, a lot of media and podcasts, I think, have, have rightly recounted that Kissinger's, you know, Kissinger participated in massive uh, state-directed campaigns of mass murder and genocide, like the invasion of Cambodia, the invasion of Cyprus, the genocide of war in Bangladesh, formerly East Pakistan. Uh, And each of these actions was taken with the really vain and hard-edged Kissinger. Could He could ultimately pretend that he was like making like tough decisions at this high level remove and that all these things are like kind of awful on the surface, you know, um, starving dead bodies of Cambodians having been bombed. Uh, But, you know, if you could only see the big brain geopolitical importance. Yeah,
0: if you could see the chessboard like he could. Yeah, right. you, that, that's kind of an insult to the to the injury of of Kissinger's career. Yeah, the so way he swanned around like a genius.
1: Exactly. So with all of these, you know, really like world historic twentieth century crimes uh, and war crimes, that you, he you could say like, "Well, if you would, if you would see it from my point of view, you'd see why it needs to be done." But today, because this is a podcast about about little violence, you know. More 1v1 stuff and than the <laughs> big mass murders. I was just hoping we could talk about a much more uh, intimate crime in which Kissinger himself ordered the kidnapping and probable murder of a single discreet person.
0: is see not that discreet if, if <laughs> Kissinger was after him, right?
1: Well, but single individual person. person. Oh, okay,
0: okay. One guy. Different discreet.
1: I think it exposes him as a brutal gangster a a harvard trained mob boss Mm. one for whom a foreign general who he never met simply like got in the way of the plan so we ordered him killed Mm. Uh, in the process he oversaw directed and approved every bit of like really filthy dirty business and I, i know i've been bugging you peter over text for weeks but I've been like amazed at just how like dingy and shitty and like blood simple this yeah. whole plot turned out to be. Yeah,
0: this isn't this isn't Jason Bourne type business. This isn't high end, you know, uh, uh, spy craft.
1: No, no, it, it's done by people who consider themselves very high end spies well, in part. Sure. But you know, well, in the end, it turns out they're just turning over money to like, like, like booze, hound, thugs. Right,
0: as it turns out, as it turns out, that is, for the most part, high-level spycraft. When you, the the technically accomplished stuff comes out for, you know, it comes out of the NSA. That's a different order of spying. But yeah, this kind of spy stuff, like, this this is what it looks like. It it
1: really gave me a sense that, like, actually, like, what happens with a lot of covert operations is the very, very well-trained, millions of dollars invested in people, like, just engage in, like, a long game of like passing the buck yeah. until finally it reaches like the last guy who just hands some money to like a completely just like desperate down on his lot guy yeah. and it's just like Stop. all right shit rolls downhill time to go kill someone yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was some really filthy dirty business and we have here wads of cash stuffed in people's boots psychotic killers meeting on street corners with still unknown disguised CIA agents to stuff cashing guns in their jackets, uh, payments to right-wing killers getting the killers' guns with no serial numbers, hush money paid to the killers' families, uh, and why? It was to clear an obstacle for a coup d'etat against a socialist leader, Salvador Allende, and more importantly, take down the movement behind him Mm. before he could take office. Uh,
0: So ultimately it didn't succeed. Allende did take office.
1: Yeah. And, and and we'll talk about it. Eventually
0: the CIA got rid of them another way. Yep. Um, uh, you know, even bloodier, but yeah.
1: But absolutely right. For the for for three years, they weren't able to take mm. the the old doctor down. Mm-hmm.
0: In in one of the you know, most strategically important countries in
1: Latin America. Yeah, although it, oddly enough, they didn't see it that way at the time. Mm. Like a lot of the evaluations of this are like, well, we don't have that many strategic interests, but one person lobbying and saying this is such an important thing was Henry Kissinger himself, even yeah. if it's the advice of other State Department person. I
0: mean, obviously, I don't think it's worth uh, having done. You know, even from an American realpolitik perspective, uh, but between like mineral riches and the fact that it's a pretty well developed society with a lot of geographic real estate, with yeah, not As trying we're saying not, not trying to play risk. You know, like 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 Kissinger did. And I'm not saying it would would have even from an American realpolitik you know, nationalist perspective doing all this would have made sense as opposed to, I don't know, making some arrangement. But uh, between the mineral wealth and its geographical position, the fact that it's arguably South America's most like highly developed economy, you know, I would say that Chile is pretty important.
1: Yeah, all all very true. But just so our listeners, by the way, don't get the wrong idea, we're not talking about the killing of Salvador and the socialist man himself. But the guy who stood in Kissinger's way to removing him from power,
0: yes, or uh, preventing it, his election,
1: or preventing his election, and that man was General Rene Schneider. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a murder. This is a death that Kissinger directly lied about under oath in his memoirs, in depositions, multiple times. And we're going to dig up his corpse and try him on this show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So let's go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So first off, we should probably talk about why would Kissinger and his flunkies and thugs around him want to kill a guy like General Rene, Chilean General Rene Schneider?
0: Right? Don't they usually like Latin American generals?
1: Well, I would think so. Uh, but there were some distinguishing characteristics of Vester Schneider, and also the uh, the particular historical moment that he was a part of. So in uh, in 1970, Ayende. I wrote Salvador Allende. I think the Massachusetts is really like infecting my brain.
0: It's tough, man.
1: So I don't have the biggest Honda dealership in Boston. Yeah. So in 1970, you know, maybe the Hoffer. In
0: 1970,
1: Salvador Allende and his popular unity coalition ran for the presidency of Chile. Uh, He represented a, a pretty broad base of organized people like copper miners from the vast expanse of desert areas of the country to urban migrant workers, peasants unions, and leftist students. He promised land reform, which was pretty desperately needed in a country where 14% of the landowners, the holders of what are called latifundia, controlled over 90% of Chile's productive arable land. Uh, And a lot of it was just left fallow, which is an increasingly desperate issue in a country like Chile in 1970, where people are seeing the food prices of beef and wheat and bread go up and up and up. Uh, he called for expanded healthcare and extension and deepening of the initiatives originally begun under Christian Democratic president Frey. But when expectations were raised under Frey, they weren't really getting met. Mm-hmm. And as a result, people organized and were pushing for a more radical approach for Mayende. So some of those radical approaches included Chile expanding its nationalized stake in the copper industry, which was becoming more, not less essential to the global economy in the 60s going into the 70s as microelectronics were
0: everything. If the world's going to get wired first, it has to go through copper.
1: And which means going through Chile. Yeah. He was a doctor himself and a, a medical doctor and a former health minister who was kind of reviving the politics of his younger days uh, in the 1930s, Popular Front yeah. era, when you know, socialist and liberal yeah. types and communists should shoulder to shoulder against you know the threat of fascism and what they saw as the inevitable path to fascism, which is not addressing social ills. Yeah, you don't address the social ills, people get desperate and people right. turn to fascism. And
0: it's worth noting that Chile, you know, like I said, very advanced economy. It was. Uh, kind of more Europeanized, not to say that being European is synonymous with having an advanced economy, but back then it helped uh, much higher portion of European immigrants in the early 20th century, including a good many Germans and Italians, uh, which would mean, and Spaniards, which would mean, A, you would maybe have some who would have some sympathy with fascism, but you would have a lot more who knew what fascism was and didn't necessarily like it, right? And didn't it, want it imported. Uh,
1: and, and both currents were definitely around. Chile had multiple coups and attempted coups yeah. in the past. They did have a four-year run where, uh, like, a kind of pseudo-fascist dictatorship yeah. was running the show. But for the most part, from World War II onward, Chile right. had. A pretty strong democratic state. Yeah,
0: and for most of its history, you had pretty peaceful democratic transition of power in Chile, which was a real rarity in Latin America, perhaps because uh, perhaps because the Americans had less interest in it before copper <laughs> became as important as it would eventually become. And when the U.S. was still exploiting mostly its own copper resources has something to do with it but yeah i mean chile you know fascism and anti-fascism there would look a little more like the european model than what you would get in less europeanized latin american societies where there's still some resemblance
1: it's also worth noting on the copper thing and and i i don't think this is you know as easily reducible as like the corporations went into chile and then the american corporations had democracy overthrown It's, it's a little more uh complex than that. but that said, you know one of the corporations that the, the top two corporations that was exploiting Chile's copper resources uh, was anaconda yes. copper. And you could pretty much just say like if when anaconda copper goes into a place, hmm. like the bodies start piling up right?
0: I mean as far as from Butte to to Chile.
1: yeah, from Butte, Montana and and killing off of, of IWW organizers there all the way into Chile. Killing off mine worker organizers no, there.
0: Fun fact, Ayn Rand in, uh, in Atlas Shrugged named one of her, named a Latin American character that gave him a last name, Anconia, one of her good guy characters, of course, <laughs> made this big speech about how money actually is, uh, you know, a, a tool of virtue, named after the anaconda uh, copper interests.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Subtle, subtle subtly.
1: There's nothing, you know, that connotes a noble animal more than the name anaconda,
0: right? (laughs) Well, you know, she also was a one of those serial killer fan type of. Oh yeah. Ladies.
1: Yeah, she was a fan of one serial killer in the twenties. Excuse me, right now. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a real, there's a real uh, consistent path, you know. She's She's, she's consistent. Just likes the serial killers. Indeed. All right. So opposed to these reforms in every way was uh, Chile's aristocratic upper classes, and some, uh, though fewer than would be expected in surrounding Latin American countries, of officers in the military. But it is worth noting that something that comes up in CIA cables and even in some in, you know, discussions by Ambassador Cory of uh, uh, Chile at the time is how unwilling... <laughs> Yeah. The military is wanting to step into affairs and how they seem like moribund, right? And yeah. attached to not doing the work of overthrowing. The right.
0: Yeah, they were attached to like just being an army in a, in the normal sense. I mean, normal. What's normal most of the world, uh, I guess. And uh, they actually, at one point, Chile did have a bigger navy than the U.S. Uh, the navy, yeah. I mean, it's all coast. Have you ever looked yeah. at it?
1: That that is true. It's and really also, old. the U.S.
0: Navy was pretty pretty small at various points. Yeah.
1: In Washington, though, and in back in the US, uh, there was a far more diligent group of mm-hmm. people lobbying uh, with increasingly, uh, increasing alarm uh, against the prospect of an impending Allende presidency. And that included the board of a company called ITT, International Telephone and Telegraph, uh, which was absolutely implacably opposed mm-hmm. to Allende. And what I didn't realize until I I, I read Peter Quornblu's book on this, the Pinochet file, was how much kind of a, a broad-based holding company yeah. in Chile ITT was. Yeah. They weren't just like, oh, they own the telegraph right, and the yeah. telephone. They owned hotels mm-hmm. and agricultural concerns. and They were just like a kind of big Yeah. Mondo Corporation.
0: Yeah, when you when you start getting like the specific critique of like corporate power and its relationship to to U.S. foreign policy in like the sixties and the seventies, I remember ITT coming up all the time, and I remember yeah. being a college student and reading those old books and being like, "Do they mean ITT? What, what, what's ITT? I thought that was like a tech school, right? The ITT Technical Institute. They had they had ads on cable because you can't get the jobs of tomorrow until you get the skills." But today, start by calling ITT Technical Institute. We'll send you an informative brochure on tomorrow's careers and what it takes to get them. But no, they were a big, big deal. I mean, I think there's a reason why those old cyberpunk writers—they when when they had the corporations running things, it usually wasn't banks; it was usually holding companies like mm-hmm. these, uh, and often based around manufacturing, which is also reminiscent of like the Japanese ibatsu. Anyway we don't we don't need to include that
1: the The, the thing that i was surprised by is the degree to which itt had this internal corporate culture that mm. like makes them like the caricature corporation from like a paranoiac oh, 70s yeah. movie yeah. like where you just have a board of very stern-faced <laughs> white men who are like how can, getting, can we take down democracy it's getting out of they, control they had
0: a huge world map yeah, like a big, big, high ceilings, big long table. And so, for
1: those who, yeah. who think I'm exaggerating, on their board and a key part of lobbying for the U.S. to really do something about this a guy was John Mccone, the yeah. former head of the fucking CIA.
0: Yeah, we gotta we gotta pay former heads of the CIA better, so they don't former spooks better so they don't get these jobs.
1: Most of the time, boards, especially during this time, were kind of like sleepy places where you put mm-hmm. your former corporate leaders like, mm-hmm. to to die. Mm-hmm. Like they just get a little bit of an income mm-hmm. and they show up occasionally and approve of the meetings of the management, but not ITT.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, activist board.
1: Real activist board. Um, so McCone actually went and lobbied both the Nixon administration directly and the CIA. To take the threat of Marxist Allende seriously, Nyande was a Marxist, although he saw it in a very democratic way. Yes.
0: I mean, as we'll see, you know, if you just make sure, if you abjure revolution and make clear you're not a Leninist or a Maoist or whatever, and are very democratic and follow all of the rules, they'll leave you alone.
1: Which, of course, they did.
0: Yeah. Right. And yeah. now the podcast over. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. So, so they'll still, still yeah, kill you. Yeah,
1: and 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 to be clear, Iende wasn't so naive as to think yeah. that they wouldn't come after him. Oh, and yeah, no, follow no, no, the no. rules. I'm not. No, he, Allende, was, he was not. In, I'm making in fun
0: best. of. I'm yeah. making fun of. I don't know. I don't even know if contemporary social democrats think that. Though sometimes it seems like they do.
1: Sometimes, although I feel like that's rarer these days. Yeah. So it's at this point that kind of the character of General Schneider comes in. So General Schneider had taken over the Chilean army and armed forces rather, kind of as as a Supreme Commander or Chief of Staff towards the end of 1969. He was opposed to any intervention or any expressions really publicly of political intent or import by the Chilean army. Uh, in something that eventually got called the Schneider Doctrine.
0: Do we know much about his personal politics or? That's something that,
1: as, as far as I can tell from the profiles that were done with him, done of him in the summer of 1970, which got reprinted in a lot of places in the U.S., he seems to have been whatever the Chilean, in the Chilean spectrum would be considered a political moderate at the yeah. time. The one thing that they they said consistently is that he was absolutely loyal to the uh, outgoing President Fray, yeah. who was the Christian Democrat, right, and at that time the Christian Democrats were incorporating more and more of this kind of Catholic social concern yes. teaching, and in particular to kind of keep their base from going over to more radical socialist mm-hmm. parties, um, and that included doing some land reform, that included doing a partial nationalization of the copper industry, yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. so one can one would think that you know, probably just extrapolating out that those kind of policies he was all right with some kind of tinkering with the economy and role for the state in order to redistribute some of the wealth to ensure long term stability.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Christian Democrats played that role in a bunch of parts of Latin America. And later on, the US tried to kind of make use of the Christian Democrats in El Salvador for their own purposes, but then they proved too squishy. And they turned to the Paramilitary types, exactly. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, in, in some way,
0: was super useful to the <laughs> West in the Cold War.
1: In, whereas, in Italy, it turned out to be yeah. very, very different. But also, it evolved over time into much yeah. more left-wing forms than they expected. Yeah. Now, I, I think you can see a lot about his kind of his view uh, or approach to in how he handled an incident that happened before he took over, which was an armed mutiny, although it was kind of a laughable one at the time it seems like called the Tencazo or mm. like and basically as far as I can tell this amounted to a regiment under the command uh sorry much I think it's much smaller than a regiment yeah. that actually followed him but a, gr- a a group of soldiers under the command of General Roberto Vio um V-I-A-U-X mutinied and had what they called an armed protest in the mm-hmm. capital of the country, Santiago, Chile, where they rolled their tanks in. But it was not, you said, a coup or a, a pooch.
0: Right.
1: Now, at the time, obviously, they're like, this looks like a pooch to us. It looks like you're trying to, to knock so, off to the government. A pooch?
0: Yeah. Not pooch. Put, pooch sounds like a dog.
1: Okay. A putch.
0: That a doesn't sound good either, because that sounds like a putz. How the fuck are we, How so are we supposed to pronounce? say it? which i don't know cut this that
1: thing (laughs) anyways so it sure looked like he was trying to like push the government in direction but his demands were that chilean soldiers and generals like himself were totally underpaid and unequipped and weren't recognized for the great role they had in the country um which you know it's not like you're fighting any wars but They were, by all accounts, like very underpaid, and that's how he got support for this Mm -hmm. this little thing. When Schneider took over the armed forces, he instructed them, of course, to absolutely not pull any of this shit again, but also demanded that the government raise their pay. Yeah, so as to ensure this happened, he was he was a little bit bullish.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's just don't don't underpay the guys with guns. Yeah.
1: So the real issue uh, for our our cast of of ghouls and ghosts in Washington, of course, is that they have an appending Allende presidency. He might win as they lead up to the election in September, but you have this guy, General Schneider, in command of the armed forces, who appears to have the support of the armed forces, and says there's no way that they will just take up arms and either deny him the presidency if he wins, or try to dictate policy to him if he does remain in the office. So something had to be done to get him out of the way. At least that was the view in Washington. But maybe we should turn now to uh, to our, our cast of characters.
0: Right. Who's who's coming? Who's going to come and upset this apple cart?
1: Now, most of our listeners are already familiar with, uh, with Henry Kissinger, um, with his foreign accent affect and Harvard training, the... Official title of him, of course, at that time was uh, National Security Advisor. I believe to Richard Nixon was he Secretary of State? yet?
0: I don't think he was.
1: No, I think he was just National Security on this National Security Council. So, as you'll see, to assemble our cast on Nixon and Kissinger's orders, the CIA put together an operation called "Foo Belt," or uh, an abbreviation really for "Fuck You Belt," um, where really that's probably no uh, oh. that's. Bad joke, bad joke. I'm going to cut. I'm going to cut. Where undercover CIA agents who were primarily run by a guy named David Atlee Phillips, the CIA put together an operation named Belt, F-U-BELT, where undercover CIA agents who were run by David Atlee Phillips, a guy with all kinds of pretentious WASP affectations and lover of William F. Buckley, you know the guy would like. It's another one of these guys that like has a lot of teeth.
0: Yeah, he was on the boat. He he saw the coiled potency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there you just, go. Just just ripping off Chapa there. Sorry, guys.
1: Anyways, Phillips uh, would would come into ch- have send these agents into Chile as uh, as tourists and under under you know cover names to act as cutouts to reach out to military officers in Chile and contacts previously cultivated by military attaché to the, to the U.S. Embassy in Chile, Paul Wimmert and CIA station chief Henry Heckscher, who really form kind of like the buddy cop duo of this entire disgusting enterprise. It's really just Henry Heckscher, HH, and Paul Wimmert riding around in cars, meeting up with Chilean guys, mm-hmm. and going like, how are we going to pull this off?
0: Yeah, very grubby. Uh, you know, uh, I understand that like 70s griminess is making one of its periodic comebacks. So, you know... That's
1: something to think about. So Paul Wimmer, this attache to the station, I was not able to find like a whole, whole lot on his background. But the main thing that you need to know about Wimmer is, one, he was a lieutenant colonel at the time. So he has a real ass official post. He's not under a cover
0: identity. In the Army?
1: In the Army. And all embassies obviously have have a military attache. Um, to contact. And also that attache is in charge of a lot of things, including frequently like security of the embassy, yeah. counterintelligence stuff, bringing in weapons and taking out weapons from the embassy. Yeah. And in Wimmert's case, he also became the point man for routing weapons and other goods from the CIA in their foo belt operation ordered by Kissinger to the actual people on the ground. And the way that he had so many contacts on the ground uh, with Chilean generals and this entire officer class, this like really like kind of stuffy aristocratic man, types, man. was all of them rode horses. Man. And Wimmer had a way, like an insulting way of putting this in an interview. He's like, "Well, none of them had enough money to golf. <laughs> but all uh, of them had horses. Uh, so also- they all knew me because I also rode horses.
0: I you fear in the mountainous desert country. That golf course is not really,
1: yeah, like yeah. But but he he went took it took it upon himself to be the big U.S. Yeah, general, no, not general, but colonel, uh, and be like. <laughs> You broke-ass Chilean generals.
0: Yeah, can't even, can't even afford an ecologically disastrous golf course. Although
1: the Chilean generals being slightly, like, broke does mm. come into play in later incidents with Wimmert. Yeah. But Wimmert knows all of these guys from an equestrian club that they, the, the various generals and admirals and Air Force commanders, because Chile has them all, uh, all attend, along with several members of the Chilean oligarchy, mm. who Wimmert also meets, so when they ask, when they say, like, oh, we need people to reach out to members of the Chilean officer corps to see if a cousin in the works, they really just mean calling Paul Wimmert mm-hmm. and saying, like, can you talk to your other horse
0: buddies? Right. Sometimes it's as simple as that, folks.
1: Yeah. In this case, it really is. But uh, the point, man, that uh, Paul Wimmert has to report to, and Henry Heckscher, his, his body who is also in the station. Actually, maybe I should talk to about Henry Heckscher for a moment. Yeah. Henry Heckscher is like a longtime veteran of doing dirty deeds to overthrow Democratic governments that get in the way of, you know, extracting a profit. Mm-hmm. Heckscher was an OSS officer in World War II, like many CIA people of his generation. And he went on to the um, successful overthrow of Jacobo Arbenz, the president of Guatemala, before moving on to the less successful initiatives that he tried to do in places like Laos, mm-hmm. where the ambassador who wanted to maintain a stance of neutrality kept seeing Henry Heckscher trying to run operations under his nose, Yeah, which he would later do here.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I, wonder if, I wonder if he was involved with any of the stuff against Castro. Because I think a lot of the Guatemala veterans were, weren't they? I I think so. Yeah.
1: Both Heckscher and Wimert, as representatives of the CIA and the DIA contact, respectively, its Defense Intelligence Agency, had to report to a guy named Thomas Karamysins, based in Washington. Thomas Karamysins, who you're not going to hear much about in the story, really just acts as a conduit, a pipeline for information to go up from Wimert and Heckscher as they do all of their little deals and handoffs and hand-to-hand transactions on the ground and Mm fuck-ups to relay all that information back from those guys all the way up to Henry Kissinger. Mm -hmm. One of the first people they managed to reach out to was, of course, that leader of the military thing that we can't pronounce, the Tankazo, um, general Vio, who was a fanatically anti communist, right wing, forcibly retired general, who now, at this time in 1970, a year out from his failed tank thing, hosts meetings and plotting by a right wing, uh, quote unquote, civic movement and later right wing party called the Frente Nacionalista de Patria y Libertad, or more commonly just called. Batri Liberty, Homeland and Liberty. They were like a quasi-fascistic group full of a lot of people. It, the main thing that set them out is their willingness to engage in really like kind of false flag activities, pretending mm. to be leftists and blowing yeah. up stuff, beating people, stabbing people and carrying out violence in general.
0: Yeah, we should do the ratio sometime on how many right-wing false flags there have been versus like liberal or left-leaning false flags.
1: Yeah, if you go to, like, Weimar Germany, there's, like, so many right-wing false flags, it becomes, like, a joke. I mean,
0: up to and including, like, the excuse for the invasion of Poland uh, (laughs) that started the war, so. Yeah,
1: Yeah. the killers, and this is really the only time that I'm going to be able to talk about them, because I can't really find a lot of detail about the killers of Rene Schneider, the people who ultimately take him out, other than... All of them were connected to General Vio's group, Mm. that right wing group, and some of them were moving in and out of of Patria Libertad, but it's really like not the coolest rogues gallery of people. Mm. You have several student types, Mm. like right wing student types from privileged families, Mm -hmm. as you will find. Um, One of them was Juan Diego de Avila Basalterica. Uh, who was a far rightist involved in other kidnapping plots, like going back to the 50s. Julio Bouchon, a 20-something engineering student who may or may not be the same guy who owns a winery now. I don't think so, but I can't figure it out. A guy who's only named in the newspapers is Mr. Vinay, a farmer. Okay. Okay?
0: Yeah, well, farmer can mean a lot of things. I
1: Humberto mean, Contreras, a student, and
0: perhaps... Mo- landowner, maybe?
1: Yeah, you, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Yeah. But I don't think any any big boys were involved at this level of the plot.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe just a you know a good enough landowner.
1: These are the ground floor guys. Yeah, uh, but probably most importantly, we have our thuggish ex detective mm. of this story, Jaime Melgosa, a twenty eight year old ex detective who you know, falling on hard times. I feel
0: twenty eight is pretty young to get booted from the force.
1: Well. You know, uh, maybe he wasn't of the most upstanding moral character. Oh, perhaps, uh, and yeah. maybe that's why he got let go.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess most of the time, when there's the 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 let go detective uh, who's in his fifties in a story, uh, he's a good guy and he's let go for his opposition to corruption. They they never show all the once they were the, let go for corruption. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they're too corrupt for the cops.
1: Anyways, after his stint as a detective, he gets convicted of robbery. Mm. So he's ripe for the picking for a, a plot, if the money's right. A,
0: a sleazy caper. Yeah. I almost don't want to call it a caper, because caper feels lighthearted. But, I know. Um, there's, there's some caper element here, I think.
1: There is. But with this scene set, maybe it's time to go into how this plot evolved. Because you might be saying to yourself, I don't get it. How can these, like, random sleazy, like, thuggish guys and, and right-wing goons and this, this general who likes driving around in tanks, how they connect back to Henry Kissinger?
0: Right. And also, how are they going to kill, you know, a general who has loyalty of the army? Exactly. I, I guess having that other army officer probably helps.
1: And probably. Now, he's retired, though. But they found other ones. Yeah. Like a lot of other ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll start the scene here in September 4th of 1970. Because against expectation, and I mean, this was a close election. Back when it started, in May, back when you know, the campaigning started in May, Salvador Allende was behind. Salvador Allende's Union Popular wins the plurality vote in the presidential election with 36.61% of the vote. And that's just 1.34% mm-hmm. above the runner-up, who is the independent candidate, and really like the only like right-wing candidate in the race. So that guy only gets like 35% um Alessandri. That happens on September fourth, and obviously, right after that happens, you have a considerable alarm because they didn't really expect Salvador Allende to win, and they also don't have a legal mechanism for being like, you can't win. You you got the most votes, but I
0: mean, you're 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 a socialist.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't do that. You need to come to a good democracy like America, where you can win without the most votes. Yeah, right. (laughs) So uh, four days later, on September 8th of 1970, Kissinger himself saunters over to the cable and sends a message to the U.S. Embassy in Chile requesting something he thought sounded really cool when he wrote it out which is a cold-blooded assessment of the prospects for a successful military coup. And I am directly quoting from it. It says cold-blooded assessment yeah, why, why and he... military coup.
0: Yeah, what are they going to do? Send like a, a, you know, a fucking Valentine to him about it? Like an Nemo song about it? Like, goddamn.
1: Send me a, a very, very florid, you know. Heartfelt. Uh, heartfelt assessment. Really, really put your emotions into yeah, it no, about so uh, the military transition to power.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, no, no, it was a cold blooded military coup. Uh, two days later, Pantera Libertad is mm-hmm. actually founded. And the reason it moves so fast is because all of the plotting to kill this guy happens in the space of about two months. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of it. So two days after Patria Libertad is founded, where most of the eventual shooters from our story will be from, uh, September 12, 1970, Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger, CIA Director Dick Helms, and Attorney General John Mitchell meet to discuss Chile and Allende's collection. And hopefully they met again in hell. But they they believe that the solution is to support the organization of a military coup with U.S. assistance, which...
0: It's kind of weird the AG was in that meeting, but I guess he was pals with Nixon enough. that
1: yeah, uh, I almost wonder if it's just like you need the lawyer. There, there's like an instinctive yeah. need among these like yeah. guys they in love- when they're in like their mob brain mode of like yeah. we need the lawyer in Yeah, not surprisingly, you, you know, four days after he says I need a cold blooded assessment of, of whether we can do a military coup, they decide that the solution to the Chile problem and Salvador Allende being elected is to do a coup. Mm -hmm. It's probably important to note here that like Salvador Allende, Chile had like a three stage process for how you could become president. You get the most votes and then that happens on September 4th. And then the next month on October 24th, the Congress votes for if you are in fact the winner of the election. The huh. Congress actually votes in, in in kind of a semi-parliamentary way mm-hmm. on who becomes president among these people huh. because none of them got the outright majority. I guess. Oh, I see. Then after that, you have your inauguration later okay. when you officially become sworn in, and the old president ends out his term.
0: So did he get? Did uh, Did did Kissinger get his cold-blooded memo?
1: He got his cold-blooded memo. So Ambassador Corey submitted his assessment in a. What was called a characteristically undiplomatic Corey Graham, That's how the state department people refer to it, of course, um, saying that at this time, the Chilean military would not be willing to seize power, quote, absent widespread violence and national chaos. All
0: right. That was this cold-blooded assessment.
1: So yeah, it's, it's probably not going to get the Chilean military to seize power, right? Yeah. But he's saying there's a chance.
0: Right. There's a ch- If there's enough widespread violence and national chaos...
1: Well, basically, Nixon and Kissinger said, fuck, Corey.
0: Mm.
1: Nixon ordered the organization of a military coup with U.S. assistance three days later on September 15th, 1970. Uh, This coup operation becomes track two of F.U. belt. Mm. So track one just concerns destabilizing the situation in Chile using economic means, uh, various financial blockades and the usual stuff we use to make countries collapse. But track two is the uh, the real violent, bloody stuff, like doing a coup mm-hmm. and overthrowing the government. So this, the all of the coup plotting goes under the heading of track two, pretty much just like the various types of, of coup plotting and operations with Castro's Cuba. We know it's called track two because at the head of the CIA memos that it so- finally came out in the 1990s, it says track two. Mm-hmm. Track two is completely kept secret from all of the other covert operations, uh, which are under something called uh, the 40 Committee, which includes you know national security advisors, CIA personnel, and so on, uh, and various generals and military types, I'm sure, so as well.
0: Basically, just run out of Kissinger's office.
1: Basically, just run out of Kissinger's office, and also the CIA. Mm-hmm. It's basically Kissinger as the CEO, uh-huh. uh, conveying stuff to Helms who really just designates this guy Carameces as a mm-hmm. proxy. yeah, And then from Carameces it goes down to the operations agents and then finally down to the two guys on the ground, yeah. Hacksher and Wimert.
0: Mm-hmm. And then finally down to their random Chilean guns.
1: Yes, exactly. So they create track two. And the, the important thing though is that this run out of Kissinger's office, it's kept secret from everyone else. Not from Nixon, of course, who they're just carrying out the orders. They're not necessarily conveying the information back up to Mm -hmm. Nixon, but it is following his plan. And track two, headed by Kissinger, moves forward with trying to see if they can organize a coup as requested by Nixon. Unhelpfully for this whole plan, September 20th, 1970, General Schneider commits publicly to the political neutrality of the armed forces, Mm -hmm. saying that the armed forces should not participate in politics or intervene. The next day, Ambassador Corey, again, being a wet blanket, sends a cable back to Washington that in order to effect a coup, General Schneider would like have to be removed, Mm -hmm. quote, by displacement if necessary. Mm. And it's worth saying at this time that Corey like hated Allende. Like he is a right winger. He is an anti-communist. He is not, you know,
0: he's not a squish.
1: He's not a squishy State Department liberal type. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's
0: a diplomat.
1: He's there for a reason, but nevertheless he's not the guy that any of them want to talk about doing the coup with yeah to give him here's that now time-worn phrase plausible deniability mm-hmm.
0: yeah I learned that I learned that phrase from the movie Independence Day <laughs> I feel like a lot of 90 s kids did I think
1: I probably learned it from Independence Day yeah now it's at an unknown time in late September of nineteen seventy the cia you know with this team headed now by david atlee phillips and this other guy named bro his bro uh assembled a team of four false flaggers Mm. um some of whom are still unidentified we know the names of two of them sforza and mcmaster no relation to roland mcmaster of our Hoffa series unfortunately so Uh, so we think think. uh they were chosen for their ability to assume non-american spanish speaking Mm. Latin American nation identities, mm. although you would think like a guy named McMaster assumes uh, Latin American yeah. identity. But McMaster, it turns out, was raised in Colombia yeah. uh, by two American parents and spoke with like a thick Colombian accent when he spoke Spanish yeah. and passed for a Colombian businessman as right. he journeyed over Chile. Especially in, the elite,
0: especially in elite Latin American circles, you're going to get a lot of pale faces.
1: Yeah. So the CIA assembled these four false flaggers and really by false flaggers, they would be what any police operation would just call undercovers, right? They're under false identities. Um, when they use this in reference to like Soviet espionage agents, they would just call them illegals, mm-hmm. right? They're yeah. they're people who didn't come here under uh, uh, some kind type of you know ostensible Soviet identity, mm-hmm. like that's themselves and did espionage. Instead, they're coming under a completely false identity,
0: yeah. false name. And they're and maybe in spy parlance, but also because they're not, no official cover. Yeah. Love, love, love
1: me a Knox. <laughs> exactly, they are, they are Knox. So Phillips and Bro run these false flaggers, and they also call them the illegal team. Mm-hmm. And they infiltrate them into the country in late September of 1970 under these cover identities and false passports, because these are the, going to be their guys who are the cutouts mm-hmm. to go ahead and do most of the meetings with, like, not the not the generals, but like their understudies. Mm-hmm. The, the various army officers and team leaders who they expect will actually be carrying out the the grunt work of yeah. a poo.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, is this a good time to take a break? What do you think?
0: Yeah, sure.
1: After that very long break, mm. we're back. Yes. So as I said, the the false flaggers and the illegals they were infiltrated in late September. But on September 29th, Paul Wimmert formally comes into the story as a the chief of the Defense Intelligence Agency calls Paul Wimmert and tells him to work closely with this CIA team and to begin reaching out himself to Chilean military contacts and try and foment a coup. For October twenty fourth, nineteen seventy, when they expect the Chilean Congress is going to vote Salvador Allende into office,
0: did they consider just like bribing like some of those Congress people to vote for the other guys? They, they,
1: they. So on track one, they were they were they were trying to do all kinds of stuff, throwing money around. Yeah, and it does seem like a lot of their money that they threw around with Chilean corporations with. Uh, various members of the elite with congressmen was getting taken but not not actually resulting
0: yeah because i was i looked up the election results it's not like there was basically three there was three candidates yeah there was iende who was like you know only one and a half two percent above uh the right winger and then there was a christian democrat who was at like a good like 25 percent so like if i feel like they could have Gotten the right and the Christian Democrats together again, that's something they managed in Europe. Um, but they you know, they could
1: so. not pull it off here. And maybe part of that is because they were so focused at this right. time on
0: yeah, like just
1: the only solution here is just to to right. do a coup. Yeah,
0: Kissinger if, didn't like that kind of He didn't like doing the politics. He liked doing the bullshit.
1: No, and, and that's that's the thing, is like one would think a more, you know, supposedly he's this like worldly nuanced right. yeah. thinker. You know. Who, who's an incredible flatterer by all accounts to powerful people, oh, yeah. anyways? Um, really good at kissing ass. But when it comes down to like his instincts for like how to interact with the world, there's no question of like, I don't know, should we do a it's just like yeah, we have to put everything into a military coup. Yeah, we
0: have to, we have to, we need blood in the streets.
1: Yeah. Now, Wimmert, as we said, the horse guy, <laughs> he's now been detailed to be. The boot's on the ground. He's He's been given this assignment. You're not just the military attache. you you got to start going around talking to your friends about whether we can do a coup.
0: That's the call every military attache wants. Right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure.
1: Uh, you thought it was just going to be a nice Latin American country? Nope. We're doing a coup here, too, Wimmer. Yeah,
0: you
1: so Wimmer, however, was also ordered to keep this a complete secret from Ambassador Corey. And uh, the message he was—he was actually given a verbatim message that he was supposed to give to Chilean officers, which was: High authority in Washington has authorized me to offer material support, short of military intervention, to Chilean armed forces in, in any endeavors they undertake to prevent the election of Allende on October twenty-fourth, his inauguration on Fourth November, or his subsequent overthrow. Even if he becomes president, he's still take him out. Yeah. Now there's a kind of a gap in time here. But one can assume that during this early October time period, that that's when Wimmert is, you know, out on the horse range, Uh the better horseback riding range, and talking to these various Chilean uh, commanders, including uh, uh, a high-ranking admiral. And Henry Heckscher, for his part, is at this time talking to the head of the Carabineros, Uh which, uh, much like the Carabineri, are the Chilean National police; they're mm-hmm. militarily organized. They have a barracks, mm-hmm. but they are still uh, a judicial police force. Mm-hmm. Um, and the head of them appears to have been, or at least been made, a CIA asset. Is as mm-hmm. he's talking back and forth with Henry heckscher uh, in these reports about how they're going to pull off a coup mm-hmm. and whether one's even feasible? On October seventh of nineteen seventy, the CIA submitted their really their first assessment of what military leaders in Chile will be willing to, which ones will be willing to carry out a coup d'etat and their prime candidate who they believe to be actually capable of it, is was retired General Roberto Vio. And they also identified at that time, another guy who will come into play with this story, General Valenzuela, and others. Mm-hmm. Now, Vio, I think, became such a big candidate for him because he was uh, the most committed to uh, "We're going to get this guy overthrown" without being so crazy that they were scared. Right. Um, and from interviews I've seen with him, he kind of seems to have like a like a a, a preening like public yeah quality you to him. Like, best,
0: yeah. Necessarily, you don't want the most ferocious guy. You want the guy who will get who's just good enough to get it done.
1: Mm-hmm the next day after this assessment um at cia hq back in the united states uh and phillips send a cable to henry heckscher that santiago station chief and ask him pretty bluntly anything we or the station can do do you affect the removal of schneider mm. having found out that schneider will be the biggest obstacle for their whole little coup plan yeah after saying Is there anything we or like you could do to get rid of General Rene Schneider? Mm -hmm. Heckscher goes and discusses with his friend at the head of the Carabineros police, the National Police, what maybe removing General Schneider would look like Head of police. Mm -hmm. And the head of the Carabineros warns Heckscher that they analyzed already uh, the quote means to remove Schneider and that. An abduction might lead to bloodshed. In other words, if you might if you try to kidnap the guy, you might end up killing the guy
0: right. And if you're the Carabineri, you're thinking <laughs> you know, that would lead to the army coming for us, probably,
1: yes, because in in the uh, in the real uh, in the real gun to gun combat, the Carabineri aren't going to be able to hold up long against the army right
0: and that's, you know, we tend to lump them together in the u s for various political reasons, but it goes to show a long-standing, uh, trend in modern history where the police are are always a lot more reliably right-wing than the army, right? We may think of the military as being all gung-ho and whatever, um, and often enough it is, but it's not a guarantee that they'll be right-wing. Like, it's a borderline guarantee of more or less any any uh, police force in a bourgeois country. Or Now, was uh, FU Belt, was that, was, so we bro and Phillips, they were back in Langley. They were back in DC. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So they were, they, they, they
1: were back in DC. They're, they're sending all this stuff back and forth oh, cable cable. Yeah. yeah.
0: See, I think that's, if I was going to be a Kissinger style boss, I mean, I guess you need to have somebody in DC reporting back to you, but I would say, okay, well, if you're in charge of this whole Chile uh, messing with operation, you need to be, you need to be closer. You need to be able to get eyes on the prize, mm-hmm. but that's my leadership style. I am writing a leadership. <laughs> uh, the, it's it, Peter's razor, the leadership. oh love no, it. No, love that's it. not love right. It. This is my my leadership. It's not, banal
1: Anyways, I, I I do have half a notion that like at Langley, they're like work until like maybe like two p.m. and then they're like, well, time to get martinis, yep. and the, that 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 that's when like they come up with things like quote anything we are stationed can do yeah. to affect removal of Schneider. Yeah, is there
0: anything we can do? It's like a
1: drunken teletype.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Getting, getting, all, getting like uh, little bits of lemon rind in the key. But...
1: <laughs> so uh, two days after Heckscher, the, their man on the ground, the CIA's uh, station chief, is talking to that head of the Carabineros, Vio, who's the general that was previously contacted by the false flaggers, uh, you know, he's now like, okay, the CIA is really trying to get a hold of me, but are they for real? Are they really going to have my back? And he he uh, he decides to shoot the moon with mm. his demands for what he wants mm. in return for carrying out the job.
0: Yeah, show him the money.
1: Yeah. So he says, if you want to show that you're, you know, authentic.
0: You're not gonna hang this out agents. to dry like Bay of Pigs.
1: Right. First, he wanted them to airdrop cachets of weapons. Mm. And paralyzing gas.
0: Oh, is that like, huh,
1: all right? I like. I just see him yes. like, like having read like a spy novel. He's like, yeah. wait, this is a CIA. Yeah,
0: like these are the, the big
1: boys. Like, give me the, give me the yeah, knockout me gas. The
0: yeah. Some gas.
1: Yeah, give me the knockout gas. But you know where the rubber really meets the road is he wants them to supply two hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> in five fifty thousand dollar bank policies and life insurance for himself and all of his plotters Uh and disability insurance for himself in all of his plotters. Uh, you gotta really make make it worth his while. Uh,
0: you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make sure your guys are taken care of.
1: The the, like rule of thumb for how much like inflation there was in like 1970, I learned Mm -hmm. is you have to multiply it times about eight. So 250 times eight, uh, $2 million. Yeah. So $2 million in bank policies, Give me and my boys life insurance and disability insurance, and you got yourself a plot. You Get yourself a little coup plot. The CIA immediately responded to this cable about an arms drop saying that's that's way too risky. We can't do a flyover and drop him guns right in the middle of Chile because people will find out it's not exactly
0: yeah, it's
1: not exactly the Sierra Maestra out there.
0: Yeah, also why not just like you know do it do it in a normal way, like with a truck mm-hmm. or trucks.
1: He wanted planes.
0: Yeah, it's fancier.
1: Yeah, he wanted planes. Uh, but the CIA did absolutely okay. green light, giving him the cash.
0: Oh, yeah. Why
1: not? On the next day, October 11, 1970, uh, a CIA false flagger, Mr. Schwarza, uh meets with Vio and his group several times that day in several locations to talk about plot to remove schneider
0: mm-hmm.
1: um which he understands to be an abduction a kidnap plot so
0: so, so or, understands it as a kidnap plot or
1: understands it as a kidnap okay. plot now the thing is is that they've all already been warned and understand that kidnapping might also be yes. killing
0: i i honestly i don't know you you might disagree about this but I think most attempts to kidnap somebody could very easily turn into murder. Yeah, and and uh, the thing is, it's like that's... especially against a military man <laughs> who you knows armed military yeah, man who knows he's in like a serious situation. Yeah, like it's not like a it's not like you know a housewife.
1: No, no, it, it, it's not. It's not your run of the mill kidnapping, folks.
0: Yeah, it's not a kid. Uh, it's a grown man. It's a high
1: profile, well armed target. Yeah. Two days later, uh, on October 13th, 1970, be- sometime between 10 and 11 a.m., Nixon reordered Kissinger and Karameses to find some way to, quote, block Allende. And in some accounts of this, to- later to the Church Committee, the committee by Frank Church on covert action by the CIA and other intelligence agencies, uh, Nixon was depicted as, like, pounding his fist into his hand, being like, God damn Allende.
0: He won't get away with this.
1: Uh, you know, won't get away with having been elected already, I guess. On that same day, Vio's group r- reports to the false flaggers that, you know, now that they've been promised the money, sometime in the next 48 hours, they would abduct Schneider. Mm. And CIA authorized the false flag team to really confirm that $250,000 payment to Vio to, quote, keep his group financially lubricated.
0: Mm. That's a felicitous phrase.
1: yeah. yeah that that's where he, that, that's where this uh, university education by CIA station chiefs gets you they you know when they when they hand over the blood money they're like we ha- this is to keep your group financially lubricated two days later with the plot having not gone forward yet in an evaluation in a meeting with kissinger caramese's notes some problems with Vio's group uh, saying that they were a bit disorganized they had maybe about a 1 in 20 chance of a successful coup. Now, it's important to note that he didn't say they had about a 1 in 20 chance of carrying out a successful kidnapping or right. removal of Schneider. He just doesn't think that, yo, know, like, has the juice to carry out a full-on military coup. And instead, he talked about a lot of other Chilean officers who would be more prime candidates to yeah. seize power. Yeah, uh, More support in the military and so on than retired General... Yeah.
0: Who made an embarrassment of himself with a tank incident, probably at least a little.
1: Yeah. Now, at this time, this becomes a very important point in time, October 15, 1970, because that's where Kissinger, in his testimony to Congress, in his memoirs, and he, you know, in any interviews about his responsibility for General Schneider's death, says that he ordered the coup plotting mm-hmm. stopped yeah. at this time. He's like, oh, there, there's no process of success. So it, he even goes so far as to say, track two of FUBEL never got implemented. It was all just stuff that happened after we removed ourselves and, and pulled out the plug from the machine.
0: So he says that, that the Chileans acted on their own. Yes, that's, that's absolutely was
1: his position till his death. As we found out uh, from documents in the 1990s, thanks to the non uh, nonstop sleuthing of Peter Kornblu of the National Security Archive, None of that is true. So what he actually did on October 15, 1970, was he took the decision after being briefed that Vio, there at that time chosen general, only had a one in 20 chance of carrying out a coup to, quote, diffuse the Vio plot at least temporarily. Man. And he also authorized a verbatim message to General Vio himself saying, quote, preserve your assets. The time will come when you and all with all your friends can do something, you will continue to have our support. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's not exactly pulling the plug. It's just, that's it, like,
0: yeah, it's calling, <laughs> calling the time out.
1: Stand by.
0: Yeah.
1: And moreover, and this is the, uh, this is the more important part of this. Uh, Dr. Kissinger, Kara Mises uh, wrote down notes at this meeting. And uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger said that the agency should, quote, continue keeping the pressure on every Allende weak spot in sight. Now, after the 24th of October, after the 5th of November, and in the future, until such time as new marching orders are given. And he even overemphasized this point, if anything, by saying it is, quote, it is the firm and continued continuing policy that Allende be overthrown by a coup. It would be much more preferable to have this transpire prior to 24 October. Mm. But efforts in this regard will continue vigorously beyond the state. We are to continue to generate maximum pressure towards this end, utilizing every appropriate resource. It's imperative that these actions be implemented clandestinely and securely so that the U.S. government and the American hand will be well hidden. And following Kissinger's orders, Vio was told to quote, and this is the instruction to him, join forces with other coup plotters. In other words, we don't think you can do this by yourself. Your plan's a little shoddy. So just join up with some other guys we have who are still doing the coup, which, again, is our policy.
0: Right. By the time this would have came out of the nineties with Cornblow, Kissinger wasn't having to answer to Congress for it. No. His church commission was long out of commission. Yeah. And did but did he did the press press him on it? Did he what do you say about he it? got
1: a little bit of pressure on this in nineteen eighty-two when Seymour Hirsch's The Price of Power mm-hmm. um, about Henry Kissinger came out?
0: Okay, so it wasn't just the nineties.
1: It wasn't just the nineties. He got a he got some heat on this in the yeah. 80s.
0: And from people like Christopher Hitchens the uh, in the late 90s. Okay.
1: Uh, in 97, I believe the that's administration That's started.
0: why I'm curious, like how he refuted the documents. If the,
1: the short answer is he didn't. Yeah.
0: Um, because, because, yeah, I guess if Congress wasn't, if no one was going to make him, why would he?
1: The only thing you could really point to, and we'll do this a, a, a little bit towards the end with Kissinger's kind of defenses to yeah. this stuff, was like, well, it doesn't say like, Go kill Schneider. Yeah. It just says do the thing that you need to remove Schneider before yeah. for. And also I approve of all of the plans to remove Schneider. Yeah. But you can see from just this example, like how deeply involved Kissinger was in the plotting here. Yeah. He's sending messages directly to the guy on the ground who's running the gunsel saying go join forces with other coup plotters. And also is, is giving the green light. And it's not a metaphorical green light. It's like backed up with money. Mm to the other coup plotters, which will continue in just a moment. So on October 16th, 1970, the next day, a contact in Vio's group, uh, who hasn't yet gotten the message of like, hey, tone down your kidnapping plot and, and so on, he meets with one of the CIA false flaggers and asks whether the CIA false flagger would sponsor a plan to bring in four Puerto Rican nationals to carry out the kidnapping because in their view this kidnapping is pretty risky and might result in killing schneider right and they don't want to be the ones to do that yeah so can you please bring in your own guns yeah it's, it's kind of funny because it's like we, we're we paying you guys to carry out the coup and then they're like yeah well i mean we're the guys to do it in addition to supplying us with you know the stuff to carry out the coup can you go ahead and supply us with people to do it too
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well at what point what are they paying you for then <laughs>
1: I'm paying you for it. So the next day, October 17, 1970, Paul Wimmert actually finds a guy who appears much more capable of carrying out this coup.
0: Mm-hmm. Not begging for Puerto Rican assistance.
1: Not begging for Puerto Rican assistance. General Val- Valenzuela. And he meets with two aides to General Valenzuela. And the aides tell Wimmert that plans to remove Schneider are progressing rapidly. And they're in contact with Yo's group. And What they need, though, is within 48 hours, they need, quote, three caliber machine guns, grease guns, with 500 rounds of ammo each. The plotters told Wimmer they would need him to pay them $50,000 to, you know, grease the wheels of their team to carry out this plot. (laughs) Which uh, which kind of begs the question first and foremost of like to kidnap? Do you really need one thousand five hundred rounds of forty five caliber ammunition? I,
0: yeah. Who are they? Who do they think they're going to shoot?
1: And and to be honest, Vio's group seems to really be more considering in their like plot. And I say earlier, it's really like yeah. four days prior. Mm-hmm. There's only a distance of four days between these plots. Yeah. Which, by the way, spoiler: so, these are all the same plot.
0: Yeah, they're all running on. The same area,
1: yeah. But you would think that with that much ammunition and uh, these grease guns and so on, that they might be planning to just remove yeah. Schneider
0: permanently, right? And remove whoever's in their way yeah. with,
1: with with extreme prejudice. Yeah. Um, so the next day, October eighteenth, nineteen seventy, Wimmer takes this request for the grease guns, the ammo, and also tear gas, hmm. also requested by by Valenzuela. And uh, tear gas masks. Mm-hmm. Wimmer believes the Valenzuela group is much more capable than Vios of actually carrying out the plot. And to show how fast actually things went back then, late in the day, the grease guns, the ammo, the tear gas grenades arrive in a diplomatic pouch with special wrapping to disguise the contents, according to Peter Kornblum. Uh, a CIA false flagger delivered six gas grenades and masks to the two military men connected to Valenzuela. Possibly, and this is speculation on my part, holding off on the grease guns because that's a little bit more dangerous hardware.
0: Yeah, and once they have them, then they but, can kind of go do what they... Do.
1: Exactly. However, another CIA false flagger met with Vio's group, because he's still carrying out the orders to defuse the Vio plot and tell them to cooperate. Mm. But he's surprised to find that they already know about Valenzuela's plot. Like, all of the, the Vio guys... They're
0: all in the sewing sir.
1: Yeah, all the Yo guys already know all the Valenzuela guys, and they're like, "We just got, we just got gas. Yeah, we just got gas masks. It's all the same plot, mm. which is kind of funny because, in a way, you could theorize that all these generals were kind of, in addition to wanting to do a coup, were also kind of running a scam of being like, you ah, 'You don't want to trust that guy.'
0: Yeah, yeah, give us the money and the give
1: guns. us the money and the guns. And, you know,
0: ordering all this stuff. I mean, when you when it's the CIA, you might as well just load up the shopping list
1: so the next day things are moving pretty fast and it's worth noting at this point that from october 18th on all of the happenings the delivery of the gas masks the okay to general valenzuela to carry out his coup plot or some kind of kidnap plot that he's making as well as finding out that general Yozman have been doing as ordered <laughs> and cooperating with general valenzuela to go ahead and take out schneider somehow All of that is being relayed to Henry Kissinger. At no point from October 18th onward, does Henry Kissinger be like, what, what are you guys doing? I I can't believe you're carrying out this coup plot that I I told you to do.
0: Yeah, we're we're, we're dialing it back, fellas.
1: Every one of these cables from Wimmer to the F.U. Belt thing is, is being taken to Carameces and from Carameces is being put into a briefing to be read by Alexander Haig to Henry Kissinger for his approval or non-approval
0: so and and here's here's an so did what a military attache have his own like channel out of which to communicate because is he just is he communicating out of the same like telex or whatever the so at the
1: so as far as I can tell Wimmer is, is basically like like running buddies in this whole plot with Henry Hexer, the CIA station okay, okay,
0: so the CIA. Yeah,
1: yes. yeah and it's he and Heckscher is the one who's sending whatever is sent given to him by Wimmer
0: up, up to CIA. The, yeah, okay, I make sense.
1: But you know, these aren't exactly like signed messages. <laughs> They're just cables that say who heard what.
0: Right, but what I was going to say is, like, if he was if he was communicating through the embassy, then presumably the ambassador. Would. Yes, but but he's my not. guess is he's not.
1: Yeah, he's he, he's like you said, he's using a more secret channel. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine that Wimmer has his own secret channel back to right. the Pentagon. Sure, but all of this stuff is in the st- documents that we know, anyways, are from uh, CIA declassification.
0: Yeah, because it's not like everybody had each other's email addresses.
1: So we're really coming up on on game time here for the plots to remove Schneider,
0: mm-hmm.
1: possibly with you know Schneider dead, considering they've got guns to do it mm-hmm. and. A, Haunt of ammunition. And what I mean here is that at this point, we're coming up on where they first actually tried to kidnap Schneider.
0: Yeah.
1: The next night, so on October 19th, 1970, the CIA operations people in Langley, they send a cable over to St- Santiago station chief, Henry Heckscher, ordering him to not, repeat not, advise Ambassador Corey of the impending coup mm-hmm. and to appear surprised and Stonewall all inquiries, mm-hmm. which, by the way, he will do for the rest of his life.
0: Mm, good good man. <laughs> yeah.
1: On that evening, the generals, having been greased with uh, tens of thousands of dollars, having not yet received the uh, the grease guns offered, engage in what I will call the stag party plot.
0: The grease, but not the gun.
1: Yep. So tempt number one to remove General Schneider went like this. There was a stag party, a VIP stag party, which is, uh, well, how do you want to explain this, Peter?
0: Uh, you know, it's when uh, you get together with your besties and a couple. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, I assume, I don't know what a Chilean stag party is like, but I assume just, you know, it's all the dudes. It's it's it's, it's, it's the, only dudes. It's, it's a gentleman without their wives. Yes, and it's that's the key thing. Their wives or their, or their sweethearts, I assume. Uh, I don't know if if they brought in strippers. I don't know if strippers were really a thing in Chile at that time. I assume sex workers of some kind were, but I don't know if they were invited.
1: Uh, if so, it wouldn't go into an official CIA document. But, but
0: pretty, they probably let's yeah. let's be honest, they probably were. This so is- I do hear that Chile is possibly the most uptight country in Latin America. Sorry to uh, all
1: our Chilean listeners.
0: I mean, it's okay to be uptight sometimes. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're up, they were uptight about democracy. No, uh, no. Uh, 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 um, uh, 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 for a while. it wasn't, but uh yeah, they're they having this
1: like drunken party where, yeah. where no no wives are allowed. Yeah,
0: they're drinking, they're playing cards, they're carrying on in the way of you know, it's just guys being dudes. Yeah, it's, it's dude stuff. It's held at
1: the house of the uh, commander in chief of the army at Presidente Eraserie Street. Sorry for mispronouncing that. According to the plan, quote from the CIA's own document, as Schneider left the party, he would be kidnapped. Schneider's abduction would begin the following progression of events to establish an anti ayende military regime. Mm. One, after arriving at the house, Schneider would be abducted. Two, he would be taken to a waiting airplane flown to Argentina. Three, Valenzuela would announce that Schneider had disappeared to all the other attending military officers.
0: Disappeared from the party.
1: hmm Huh. The military would blame the kidnapping, because then, then, then we'd be like, oh my god, he's been kidnapped. It's crazy. He it would blame the kidnapping on leftists uh-huh. and it would institute a search for Schneider all over Chile, using this pretext as a pre- blah, using the search as a pretext to raid communist-controlled neighborhoods.
0: Now I wonder how far <laughs> This doesn't, this sounds like they had, and, you know, the CIA has exhibited this before. Sounds like they had Mossad envy. This (laughs) this sounds like a shitty fly-by-night version of what the Israelis did to get Eichmann. But the Israelis worked at it uh, for a long time. They had a much more prep time. They had much more, they didn't go in with, you know, grease guns with 1,500 rounds of ammunition or tear gas. And even then, it was still tricky but like okay like what what do we know anything about their plane or like how far away this street is from the airport like there's so many failure points
1: nope Um, there's there's lots of those this would this would be a great plan if they already had plans and they did plans regularly but they didn't
0: yeah and Mossad didn't either which is why like literally the head of Mossad had to move to Buenos Aires for like months uh to to coordinate it yeah to coordinate the Eichmann Capture.
1: Well, it's interesting you say how uh, badly plotted out this is because by the time we get to number five in this the seven step plan, mm. that's where we really get to wish casting. Oh boy. So, number five, the military command, after raiding all these communist controlled neighborhoods, would be shuffled to put coup plotters in positions of power. Uh-huh. Number six, President Frey would resign and leave Chile because mm. they would tell him to.
0: Mm.
1: And number seven, a new military junta would be installed and led by Admiral Hugo Dorado, who I think had just a lot more soft support. Um, and the junta would also dissolve Congress. Which, you know, is kind of a blueprint for what would eventually happen with Pinochet, but that was executed with a lot more ruthlessness.
0: Yeah, and probably more planning ahead of time. So, And, and so the beginning of this would have been it, it, and I don't even get the beginning of it. Like were they were waiting were they waiting for him to leave the party? Were yeah. they trying to hustle him out the party? Like
1: they they were gonna wait for him to leave the party.
0: Okay. I feel like that could be a long way to the military stag do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe they just expected he just wouldn't have enough fun.
0: Yeah.
1: Or or what have you, or maybe they had a pretext for him to leave. That's uh-huh. unknown to me too. Yeah. But the real problem here was that rather than getting into his chauffeured army administration car that was waiting to drive him home and would then be uh crashed into and he would be abducted from schneider left out the back got into his own car and simply drove home
0: Hmm. they didn't have a plan for that they they did
1: not have a plan for that Uh, the 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 plotters were none the wiser and uh in the kind of post-action report on this they became quote nervous due to inexperience now Because it's later kind of put that this was Valenzuela's attempt and Uh his guys were just trying to do a kidnapping and and then later on things turned to murder. By later on, I mean two days later, Uh three days later. It should be noted that the juries who reviewed this in Chile when Allende was still in power, because these guys did get arrested, Uh Vio and others, they decided that all of the uh, abduction doing. Like the the team that was waiting for Schneider to exit the party, the team that eventually did kill him, that those are all the same guys.
0: Yeah, there was no, there's no separation between the notionally non-murderous kidnappers and right, arms.
1: right. So, in other words, when we talked about earlier about you know our 28 year old ex detective, mm-hmm. newfound robber, yeah, he he's out there in the car smoking cigarettes, waiting for Schneider to come out right. the front door
0: didn't
1: think to put anyone on the bad tour. No, no, they're not. Yeah. They're not the best pros here. Also, you know, you would think that if you're going to try to control how he how he goes home, you should control how he gets there. Yeah, like it. This seems like the plan was was just completely ruined by the fact that Schneider was like. Well, I drove here Anyway, it's time to go home. Yeah, I don't want to, to pick up
0: my car here anymore.
1: Got got in his car and drove home.
0: I mean, drunk driving was considered a big funny joke back then. Yeah, so, you
1: know. I mean, it's probably like, now my drive home's gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah, yeah. So of course, uh the the kind of gang who couldn't shoot straight here tries again. <laughs> uh and this this gang, as we said, is primarily General Vio's people. They're his contacts, but they're working under the command now of General Valenzuela to try to carry out this coup. Mm-hmm. Uh, this second attempt, I call the traffic jam debacle. Mm. And uh, after a while, this gets sad. Like, I, I wonder about how many attempts I would get to where I'm like, can you just guys just, can you just carry out and, and kill Schneider?
0: Yeah, come on guys, work with me here. And,
1: and keep in mind that, you know, after attempt one, Henry Kissinger has also been briefed and he yeah. still
0: isn't like, oh yeah, yeah. Better turn, better stop this. They're not doing any more kidnappings. Maybe
1: that's I should stop whatever. paying these people, or yeah. tell them they're not getting support. So on October twentieth, the very next day. So these guys are probably honestly like were staying up in their car watching oh, yeah. these generals have their stag party yeah. from the outside, and then you know didn't even go to sleep. The next morning, they're
0: like, okay, we're, we're oh yeah, they're we're, probably we're, on they're probably on balls, <laughs> If that's the right term, black be- black beauties.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some some some, some bennies.
0: Turn, yeah, yeah.
1: The very next day, again, uh, this gang comes up with a new plan on the fly, mm-hmm. which is we're just going to wait for General Schneider to go home for the Ministry of Defense. Because mm-hmm. after the stag party, he went home, he went to sleep. He's going to the Ministry of Defense the ne- next day. All we have to do is wait for him to leave mm-hmm. and then smash our car into him, we'll abduct him. Cool plan goes forward.
0: I guess the plane's just on standby this whole time. One the time. problem
1: is when he left the Ministry of Defense, that is rush hour in Santiago, Chile. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They didn't think of that, I guess. No. Are they all like from the country? Their country bumpkins. They were all just looking up at the skyscrapers and being like.
1: I mean, maybe the one who's just identified as, quote, a farmer. farmer.
0: Yeah.
1: But by and large, no. Um, they're mostly from Santiago, as I understand. Yeah. Uh, and certainly Vio was, who's, who's sure, running right. this operation, supposedly. Yeah. So uh, they uh, they attempt to pursue Schneider, but then get stuck in traffic and unable mm-hmm. to get to his car. Yeah. And he gets away. He gets in gets away like so well that he doesn't, that in all of these attempts, he doesn't know that there's that, that being there's an attempt happening. on it. Yeah, He's just Mr. Magooing it out of the way. <laughs> of these plotters
0: yeah
1: uh which, which leads to i uh, i think a, a lot of frustration and probably a, like how do you fuck Finger that up
0: and yelling
1: conversation with general vio you know how do you fuck that up
0: how do you fuck that
1: up and i think that's what how this gets ramped up to the level of frustration and uh and anger that happens uh, by October 22nd. So maybe they had some sleep uh, on October 21st mm-hmm. to go back after this second kidnapping attempt. Uh, Wimmert's informed that the attempt was underway, and he, he cabled headquarters to let them know about this uh, this traffic jam problem. But on October 21st, the next day, it's pretty quiet. Leading up to October 22nd, which starts very early. So this time they're going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Right. Third time is a charm. At 2 a.m., Wimmer meets with a Chilean military officer in a secluded spot outside San Diego and hands over the, quote, sterile guns. These M3A1 grease guns, which I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with, yeah. but it it fires .45 caliber. That's a pretty powerful pistol round, Mm -hmm. handgun round, at a very low rate of fire, 450 rounds a minute. So it's not like...
0: My understanding is it was like a cheap alternative to the Thompson.
1: Right, but it was very reliable. Yeah, and fairly accurate mm-hmm. uh, at close range. In any case, you didn't need to be that accurate if you're going right up to the guy. Right, but it does look like you know, like a grease gun or like a cock gun. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It looks like a yeah, like a tool.
1: It looks like a plumbing device. You know. Yeah but they get three of these sterile guns and by sterile, they mean they didn't just like scrape off the serial numbers. They dissolved them in acid mm. as only CIA tradecraft can do. Yeah. Um, so the serial numbers could not be recovered even if they were found. Wimmer hands over these guns and the ammunition that General Balanzweiler requested to some unnamed military officer because his name is still blacked out. Good job, classification. Mm. At 8.05 AM, just six hours later, Schneider is assassinated by the hit team. So you have a handoff of the guns and ammo, and then they carry out the the murder.
0: Which, among other things, I mean, it's a grim, but it kind of goes to a point that uh, murder is a lot easier than kidnapping if you're if it's against a target who's at all like protected or aware.
1: Yeah. Now at eight a.m., uh, Schneider left his house in the San Diego suburb in a chauffeured car, it was chauffeured by a Chilean army cor- corporal who, by all accounts, was uninvolved in the attack. And his destination was, just as the previous two days, uh, to go to the Ministry of Defense and begin working his office. A jeep was reported to have smashed into the car, and two kind of thugs emerged from another car that was accompanying the jeep. One of them had what was described as a sledgehammer, or like a sledgehammer-like object by eyewitnesses. He smashes out the back window Mm -hmm. of Schneider's car, and this gunman emerges from the non-crash car. So not the Jeep. And through the broken window, fires at Schneider five times. There's a surprising amount of like Rashomon-like dissembling and weirdness about what actually happened during this assassination sequence. But the consistent parts are someone crashed a car into General Schneider's car to stop it. Someone broke out the window with some blunt object and then another guy fired. The weirdness is that In some accounts, there are like five guys who come and start shooting into the car. Mm -hmm. In the earliest accounts that I could find, it was always just one person Mm -hmm. shoots into the car, which is consistent because only five shots are fired.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And there's a surprising amount of ambiguity later on as to what kind of guns were fired at the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this becomes a point of kind of a, a defense. Yeah. With the CIA, having just given guns to the coup plotters yeah. and the kidnap plotters uh, six hours prior. Right Now, one thing that Seymour Hersh found is he got access to, and this was when uh, General Pinochet, uh, the eventual murderer of Chilean democracy, was still in power. He got access to otherwise secreted away reports investigating the death of René Schneider. i am just read the quote from Hersh's book, Price of Power. Quote, the murdered general was said to have pulled out a handgun when first confronted. Yet the official report on file in Santiago of the military officer who investigated the slaying depicts an execution. There is no mention of Schneider's alleged resistance. The report signed by Major Carlos Donasso Perez of the 24th Commissariat of Military Police in Las Condes in East Santiago noted that Schneider's car was struck and stopped by a second vehicle. The car was then surrounded by five individuals One of whom making use of a blunt instrument similar to a sledgehammer broke the rear window and then fired at General Schneider, striking him in the region of the spleen, the left shoulder, and the left wrist. So two non-fatal wounds, and then one really awful to feel like gut shot. The first reports from the New York Times and others, the people who had like reporters on the ground in Santiago and this is not during a military dictatorship. They're just talking to people around. They're talking to police officers. Those reports indicate that Schneider had been wounded by 45 caliber bullets. These are reports, I should say, that don't know about the grease guns being yeah. delivered. They don't know that the CIA just gave 1,500 rounds to yeah. these people. But they say, "Looks to us like 45 caliber bullets." Now, mm-hmm. I don't know whether their sources were the doctors at the hospital right. who took or the were
0: eyeballing them, or, yeah,
1: or or anything. Now, the CIA's own assessments, including by false flaggers with knowledge of the plot, referred to it as a, quote, machine gun assault. So it's kind of bizarre Mm -hmm. when later on before the Church Committee and to this day, uh, the CIA and even, frankly, a lot of um, people who have investigated this uh, in Chile (laughs) say that pistols, handguns were used. There were early eyewitness accounts that one of the shooters was using a handgun. Although, frankly, if you don't know what the hell you're looking at and you're looking at it from like a block away, mm-hmm. like I could see, you know, someone pointing a grease gun with one hand yeah, oh, yeah. and not knowing what that is. It has a very, you know, thin clip. Yeah, it's
0: not, it's not that big of a gun.
1: Yeah. No. And it does fire pistol rounds. It's a yeah. submachine gun. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the CIA's own. False flaggers who are in communication with all of the little plotters in, involved in this say report it as a machine gun assault, mm-hmm. and say that Vio's group did it. Tells me it yeah. was done with their guns. Yes, that's what they're used for.
0: Yeah. What else? Yeah.
1: So now, of course, if uh, if Kissinger's innocent, you would think the reaction to this plot would be, you know, disbelief, right? Mm-hmm. You were supposed to abduct him.
0: And yeah, and man, take you him away. this is
1: terrible. I didn't just say remove by any means necessary. That'll be yeah. awful. So the CIA, uh, October twenty third, nineteen seventy, message regarding the assassination was essentially uh, excellent job. Great job, guys. So, quote, the station has done an excellent job of guiding Chileans to a point today where a military solution is at least an option for them. Chief of station and others involved are commended for accomplishing this under difficult and delicate circumstances. I don't think you can get a more obvious pat on the back for killing the guy. But that's not...
0: And when did this? When did this? uh, The next day! No, no, no. When was this revealed?
1: Oh, that that was also in the 90s. So right after the assassination of Schneider at 4 p.m., the CIA operations man in Washington, Cara Mises, uh, meets with Alexander Haig, the deputy to Henry Kissinger, on the outcome of the death of General Schneider. And at time unknown after that, same day, Haig briefs Kissinger. And that briefing is still classified.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you were ever looking for, like, what would be the smoking gun to show that, like, Henry Kissinger knew about, knew that Schneider was going to be murdered and didn't care, that's probably in the briefing of October 22nd, 1970. Uh-huh. And there's a reason it's probably still classified. Yeah. However, you know, even though the CIA thought everyone did a great job and they thought a coup was imminent, they were wrong. The Chilean military under Carlos Prats, another officer who abided by the Schneider Doctrine uh-huh. and was eventually assassinated by Pinochet agents, they rallied around defending that peaceful transfer of power. And Chile's Congress overwhelmingly elected Salvador Allende as president by a vote of 153 to 37.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the sea dams went for for Allende.
1: Exactly. Now, the next day, however, General Schneider died of his wounds, and this became not just an attempted murder, but a murder case. And also, surprisingly, uh, the Chilean police pretty much rounded up almost everyone Mm, immediately.
0: Now, would, would that have been the Carabinieri or like the Santiago?
1: So this, the, because it was the, and I don't know quite, quite the, the mechanism. Case. of yeah, Yes. So I don't quite know the mechanism of Chilean law that did this, but somehow because it was General Schneider's assassination, it looks like it was the military police in and it was a colonel who was in charge of the yeah. investigation of the death, probably because they thought they couldn't trust the Carabinieri or the local police or what have you. Yeah. So now that you know, killing Schneider was done for uh, for no effectual reason. Yeah. They, they didn't get didn't get any coup out of it. The CIA Fu Belt people draft what is essentially a this is what we need to cover up on this murder document.
0: Yeah, this is a very like th- th- this is this has like the Cone brothers or even just like normal. You know, in most gang wars, like most killings aren't all that particularly useful right? I mean, they're not strategic geniuses. But yeah, this is a Coen Brothers element, right? They do this murder. It took several tries and it didn't even get them anything. And now they need to cover it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this isn't to say that like the CIA doesn't pull stuff off. It's just like there's kind of a pattern where they like try to do things with this like spy shit. And then they just do it with increasing brutality as they get frustrated at their own incompetence, which seems to have been the case here to some extent. But yeah, this document, which was a proof release in July of 2000 from 26 October 1970, says, as part of deleted wrap-up, Station, was made securi- Station has made security review based on assumptions that the government of Allende will make every effort to, to implicate redacted mm-hmm. the CIA mm-hmm. in activities that led to death of Schneider. General Vio's group was responsible for the shooting of Schneider. Parentheses, probably botched up abduction attempt. We don't know. Mm-hmm. There are several active duty army and navy officers who knew the attempt would be made to abduct Schneider, including us, mm-hmm. and who also have been in direct contact with you to discuss the possibility of overthrowing the government. Redacted, General Valenzuela, redacted, 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 mm-hmm. and redacted, who all probably lived out the rest of their days Kissinger style. Mm-hmm. General vio may not want to be fall guy for active duty officers involved in the plot, Latter may fear that their days are numbered if Yo falls into the hands Viande government. There is a warrant out for his arrest. So station will break up areas of security consideration into the following subjects: false flaggers, direct contacts, direct station contacts, embassy contacts, material furnished to the plotters, and redacted. Mm. So it's it's literally just what's our exposure, dude?
0: Mm.
1: How much time am I facing? Yeah. Um, What are all the weak points where they could? What
0: do we got to clean up?
1: Yeah. We got to make this look right.
0: Yeah. Oh, fuck. Get the cuffs off and push blood settles.
1: We got to make this look right. So, to that end, uh, one of the biggest things is material furnished to the people. They still have guns out there
0: and tear gas, and bullets, Who knows what. and gas
1: masks, yeah. and money. Lots of money.
0: Yeah,
1: They also talk about how they need to, you know, conceal their false flaggers contacts with people. Mm-hmm. There are reports immediately after the assassination saying that the Chilean government was examining uh, immigration in the country mm-hmm. to see, you know, who might be a fake yeah. identity. So this document is obviously very damning. And that's why loads that of it's redacted even today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why we don't actually have, you know, the final truth on what happened. In a cable to Washington on the same day, a representative from General vio demands that the CIA provide financial and immigration assistance to his group, quote, based on your promises. I did the job. Yeah. I want to get paid.
0: Yeah, come on. We need those um, We need those policies.
1: Yes. Pay out. We did what you wanted.
0: Yeah, or else we'll come after you.
1: However, the CIA is obviously still worried about their exposure from the grease guns, the ammunition, and the money lying around. So uh, they they told their man... Colonel Wimmert, to ask if he could, quote, manage to regain possession of the material. And uh, Wimmert responds by promising conversation to, quote, take special care in hiding hardware and remove telltale indicators of origin, such as fingerprints.
0: Oh, God, they're going to send them out after the guns.
1: They they really did send them out after the guns. Uh, so he actually kind of like slept on it yeah. for about a week. Um, and then noticing that they hadn't regained the guns or anything like that, uh, the the co-leader of fubelt back in in mm-hmm. Langley again cabled colonel wimmert and expressed concern that quote the hardware needs to be recovered at this yeah, what point what is wimmert doing this whole time like do they think they're covering up anything by saying hardware yeah like just get the guns yeah so sometime after that, that wimmer <laughs> yeah. we need you to recover the hardware uh, Wimmer goes to get the grease guns and the money back from the unnamed military official he gave him to, uh, who ultimately gave them to General Valenzuela. And this resulted in an incident that Seymour Hersh recounted, in which Wimmer pistol-whipped Valenzuela into giving him back the money. And Wimmer actually talks about this as like, he goes into Valenzuela's house and he's like, I need the fucking money back.
0: Wimmer also, they took he took the money that he paid yeah. for this assassination. Yes. Oh, wow. That's that's rude. Mm-hmm. It is right. The guns would make sense. Like you need to cover up, but like they're they're just gonna they're just gonna take the money back. I
1: think the way that the CIA saw it is we
0: didn't get the result.
1: We we paid for a
0: coup. Yeah, not just some dead gem.
1: Yeah, we didn't pay you just to kill this guy. You were supposed to kill this guy or get rid of him or remove him, remove him by some means on the way to a coup. Yeah, but
0: no coup, no cash.
1: No, no, no coup, no follow-through, no, no money. So Valenzuela resisted, though. He's like, this is my money. You yeah. paid this to me. We did the job. Yeah. Uh, and Wimmer, an man. <laughs> Wimmer pulled out his revolver and, and beat a foreign general to give him back the money. Damn. Yeah. Does this sound like like diplomats to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, Henry Kissinger's big book was called Diplomacy.
1: Does this sound like the stuff they teach in State Department? Or does it
0: just sound like, like John Gotti shit? Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, not the, not particularly graceful thuggery.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I neglected to mention that Wimmer, when he got this massive tranche of money, uh, $50,000 in various denominations, $250,000 in another time, um, Seymour Hurst throws around the amount of $100,000 in another time. Yeah. He doesn't have a place to put it. He's like, I couldn't put it in the safe at yeah. the embassy because other people are going through the safe yeah. at various times to get out credentials and stuff. So i had to store it somewhere
0: what unless the is station
1: yeah but they're, they're going through it and this has uh, to be kept secret from them too
0: oh
1: yeah, uh exciting. except except for Heckscher,, yeah his body so he stirs it in his boots
0: oh he said I, I... <laughs> and i guess equestrian big boots big
1: boots so he says he has like all of the like hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash mm. in like sausage roll like things oh. like just wads he's stuffing them in his boot And then I guess when he needed to pay off Valenzuela, he like cut open the wad and like Mm -hmm. took some of these stacks out of the boot Mm -hmm. and handed him some of these like sweaty stacks of cash.
0: Okay. Yeah. Of
1: blood money. Uh, But yeah, he beat him and he took the money back.
0: And the guns. I suppose.
1: And the guns. It doesn't say how he got the guns back, but it just says he recovered the guns and then, Wimmert and Heckscher then drove 70 miles west of Santiago to the resort town of Vina del Mar, where they did the uh, very smart, very trade crafty military thing with the guns, which they put them in a bag and they threw them into the into the bay.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds real. It's a smart thing to do now. Threw them in the Pacific. being ironic. Is it good to throw guns? And it
1: is, you know, it, it, but at the end of the day, this is just, it's all pretty crude. Right.
0: It's all, yeah, there's no, it's not like this stuff is so high end. Yeah. I mean, maybe what the NSA does, but you know, not not this stuff.
1: And then on November 6th of 1970, having not heard back from like, you promised to pay me for doing yeah. this stuff. and. Seeing as he's running the actual guys who did the did the assassination who are all sitting in jail, Bill makes it known that he has a record of his activities and his interactions with the CIA false flaggers, and in a safe place. And he'll release it if he and his group aren't oh, made wow. whole. He's the so ta- smart one after all. He is the smart one after you all.
0: Know, he's a bit of a coxcomb, but he he, he has. He has sense
1: at the end of the day like all these cia people are acting like you stupid little tin pot generals. and vio is going you have legacy costs yeah i have information man mm-hmm. uh they really stonewalled on paying this for a bit until uh, a cia undercover one of the illegals mcmaster he he met with a chilean contact who told him, you need to relay the message here the VIO group, many of them, as many as five, but at least three are currently in jail in Allende's, Chile. And uh, they demanded somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000, mm. which to me sounds like the agreed upon amount. Right, yeah. That was the amount you said would keep us financially lubricated. Mm. But the CIA at this point, 1971, are a little afraid that there's too many eyes on them. Yeah. And this whole plot. And they said the most we can move is about $10,000 per family. Mm -hmm. Which weirdly comes out to them paying out about $35,000 of hush money to Mm -hmm. these plotters' families. Yeah,
0: they lowballed them.
1: Delivered in cash Mm -hmm. to pay the legacy costs. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess that's which is how little...
1: you know they were totally innocent.
0: Yeah, it's just yeah. paying
1: people who carried out the murders to shut up.
0: Yeah, that's stuff normal people do all the time.
1: Maybe uh, rather than going to the kind of the counterplotting, maybe this is a good time, Zanny, to talk about Kissinger's Kissinger's defenses yeah. on this, because just recounting for our listeners here, here's where we're at. Back in September of 1970. Kissinger heard Allende might be winning this election, taking office. A socialist will take office. And he reacted with uh, extreme prejudice as he later recounted that the consolidation of Allende and power in Chile, therefore, could pose some very serious threats to our interests and position in the hemisphere and would affect developments in our relations to them elsewhere in the world. Uh, such you know, very uh, high-end, you know, chessboard stuff as. U.S. investments totaling some $1 billion may be lost, at least in part. And Chile may default on its debts. About $1.5 billion owed to the U.S. government and private banks. That's the one he lists at the top. He then goes on to the whole bunch of hemispheric politics stuff. But at the top, he's just like, listen, guys, they're going to cut off the money.
0: Yeah. The actual thing that
1: matters. Yeah, the actual thing that matters. Kissinger was not subtle. He was a thuggish mob boss guy.
0: And and, and all, you know, but not unlike... Uh, at least some mob bosses of the past likes to have this like sheen of like uh, worldliness. Yeah, right. Like it, it's not uncommon for you know mob guys to try to compare themselves to statesmen or read Machiavelli or like uh, you I'm know. a gentleman over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know all this all this bullshit. But really, we all know. No, no. The geopolitics, like. Are people gonna? There's not gonna. You're not gonna move the pieces on the risk board across South America. Like, get out of here.
1: So, yeah, maybe it's good a time is need to talk about why Kissinger denied that he had any real role in killing <laughs> Schneider, even though he approved the operation. <laughs> the operation then reached out and said, "Okay, we've got these guys who are willing to take out the Chilean government, but they need to remove Schneider." <laughs> Prove that. Told them to do, go, go forward with taking out the Chilean government, include removing Schneider, and then sat by as he received report after report of like delivering the guns, delivering the money, delivering the gas grenades, carrying failed, out
0: failed plots,
1: carrying out three well two failed plots yeah. and one one uh, quote unquote successful plot, I yeah. guess, and being briefed the whole time. So what's his defense here? So his first defense, of course is in August of 1975, he was asked to testify before the church committee in closed session. So, you know, sensitive national security information wouldn't get out. And Senator Frank Church asked him um, his level of involvement. Uh, He said that a week prior to the Schneider shooting on October 15th, 1970, he shut off the coup plotting, never went forward. And he even asserted, quote, we never received another report on the subject.
0: And obviously, that's, that's
1: false. It's completely false.
0: Probably false.
1: Yes. Uh, he even said after October 15th, quote, track two was dead as far as my office was concerned, according to author Peter Kornblue. But Peter Kornblue uh, impeaches this testimony with a few things. Uh, as early as July of 1975, just in case you think Kissinger's memory off in preparing for his testimony, Kissinger himself admitted to General, uh, sorry, <laughs> to President Gerald Ford about knowing that a kidnap plot. Was happening, and that at that time he supposedly shut off support to the plot. <laughs> that would put the plotting he, he he knew about that would put it after October fifteenth. That would actually put it around October seventeenth. But Cornblue found more damning evidence than that, uh, including cables from the CIA Santiago station, uh, repeatedly saying that they need to and should continue to keep the upper echelons informed, mm-hmm. uh, as well as testimony from uh, Kemenizis. He said, of course, I would have briefed Kissinger about that. I assume I did that because that's what I did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, he, I, I think he briefed Haig, who briefed Kissinger yeah, about it yeah. rather than Kissinger directly, although there were instances in which he talked to Kissinger directly, mm-hmm. like when they first came up with this crazy coup plan. Yeah. So probably the the next defense that's actually still used today is some variation on like the group that killed Schneider acted independently. Yeah. And without my knowledge, I approved a kidnapping plot or you know, stood by as this plot happened, but it wasn't the people that I encouraged. That was like another group who acted independently. And they kind of riff off the fact that we don't actually know like all the specific shooters, all the specific people who drove. Um, but like I said, the Chilean juries, the Chilean judicial system has found that the people who were involved the October 19th plot with Valenzuela, which definitely got our approval, were the same people as were there on October 20th and October twenty seventeenth when they killed Schneider.
0: So did he ever try and say like, oh, maybe it was, because this is, the, they were preparing to say, oh, it was leftists. Yeah. Kidnapped. Did he try and argue that about their killing?
1: No, no. I, I I think he knew that with the evidence that had already come out, the cables right. and so on, that he wasn't going to be able to say like, oh, should leftists kill Schneider? Yeah. Also, it, it didn't help that, you know, Allende's government immediately found plotters. Mm. The Probably the strongest argument that he and the historians who actually defend Kissinger have is they claim that the group that killed Schneider weren't paid with the money that we gave to the coup plotters and they didn't have the weapons that we gave the coup plotters. In other words, we supported one coup plot and then like another one just happened. Mm. This wasn't our guys. It was... It's a whole other group of guys. and right. It's it's what in law they call like a nexus argument. Like, yeah, I was totally plotting to kill that guy. And yeah. I got the guns together, I got the money together Did to that do
0: fine it. in an American court. Uh like if a mob boss was if a mob boss was doing this to like
1: it, it, it would if there was like evidence that like he really like his that money those guns he transmitted really didn't get to the people who ultimately killed him it's like yeah. someone else killed him. it's like the robert blake defense like right, yeah. of course i wanted to kill my wife she's a terrible person yeah. was stealing my kid but yeah. you know she also had a lot of enemies and one of them did it right yeah that
0: that was basically okay. his defense. but but in this case doesn't Nexus defense
1: hold on no and it's probably the one that still needs to be knocked down. Yeah. Historically.
0: Do you, do you know the names of any of the historians who are making this argument? Is it like Neil Ferguson?
1: No. Um, I Honestly, I forgot her name. I, did, I just read her book today. Okay. And it was terrible. Um, but yeah, they, it's a lot of like they didn't have knowledge of what was going on. Things happened so fast. Are they
0: like Kissinger biographers, or or like? Well,
1: Kissinger's own biography says yeah. that, but I don't. I don't think his biographers are willing to step into that.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this wasn't so, willing to say that or whatever. But Maybe it was.
1: Just to to take down this argument once and for all, all of the plots were the same plot, as yeah. far as we can tell, according to all of the cables that are sent from Wimmert and from the. Uh, false flaggers and from Heckscher back to Langley, Virginia, saying what's going on with the plot. And that information then goes to Kissinger. They say, looks like Vio and his group all know what's going on with Valenzuela and they're participating. And they're doing that because Kissinger himself ordered them to.
0: Yeah. And and the Chilean justice system. Yeah. Also. So the so the, so Allende's justice system, if you know you, if we want to take like the the right argument, which would be oh, obviously, what are these Chilean socialists know? Uh, not to say that Ayerda actually would have run the judiciary that early in his regime. Come on, guys. <laughs> but uh, so so both sides agree more or less, right? The Chilean side and the CIA side,
1: Just not publicly, but not privately. Publicly,
0: but privately, yeah,
1: yeah. That yeah. it's the same group. Yeah, the guns went to the same people. You do have, frankly deniability documents that Mm -hmm. are sent by the cia and and there's a deliberate contradiction because they know that some cables will be discovered and and this is also how you get a notion of like this isn't even like a limited hangout but a deniable story um which is they they send back people who have knowledge of who killed schneider send back cables expressing surprise Mm -hmm. and saying we don't yet know who killed schneider Uh, there are those cables do exist, and they are sometimes used by journalists who don't know any better on this to say, "Like, looks like there was a different group that acted on this. They didn't know who they were." But you can also see that there's cables that contradict that. They say immediately, "It was the deal group. We know it was. We we talked to them. Yeah, at the horse range. Mm-hmm. So, none of Kissinger's defenses hold up. And honestly, in a court, if this was a a, a not a case that's wrapped in diplomatic and government garb yeah it would be pretty straightforward you said you wanted to you know remove the head of this company and you knew his security guard was going to prevent it so you met with a bunch of thugs who say we'll take care of that security guard for you and you said well what do you mean by that and they're like well we'll try to abduct him a violence could happen and you're like well mm-hmm. here's here's some guns. Here's some guns. You got,
0: yeah.
1: well, do you have money too? Yeah. yeah. And then they do kill that security guard. Yeah. And then they're like, we did what you asked. Give us more money. And you go, well, fuck. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, well, not, it isn't
1: very complicated.
0: Yeah. No, um, you know, that's a whole thing with all these guys. Like, it's not fucking, it's not some Harry Potter like bullshit. It's not, it's not, yeah.
1: Yeah, 100%. but the the thing with Kissinger is, it, you know, and we've talked about a, a different figure on our on our Hoffa episode, it's an actual mafia, so yeah. Tony Provenzano. Is he would do really obvious stuff, mm-hmm. but if you didn't have enough completely damning evidence, you right. go well, okay, well I won't help them. Core, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, and I've been kind of like thinking for a while after his death now about how Kissinger still had such a reputation. Mm. And um, I mean, part of it, you know, if you were going on his website, you would think his reputation is because regardless of what, you know, covert action stuff he was involved in and, and dirty deeds he did in the next administration, he brought a lot of peace to the world and stuff like that. But I wonder, you know, you would think that that reputation would decline Mm. at least among this a uh, you know, circle of of people in Washington, like Hillary right. Clinton, like yeah. leaders of think tanks, like members of corporations. You would think that reputation would decline as more and more information about what he was involved in came out, but it didn't. He simply got richer. Mm-hmm. He simply got more positions. He yeah. went to Davos more times. Yeah. And uh, I began to wonder. And you're a more thinking literary guy. Listen to Peter's podcast. Uh, reading a time monsters. But uh I begin to think that maybe Kissinger actually has this aura or reputation, not in spite of the information that came out about him, but because of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think Craig Brandon kind of uh alludes to that in his uh Kissinger shadow, uh, that Yeah, everything with Kissinger was impression right down from the accent and the, you know, the playboy behavior and the, the, you know, fucking junior in college level dorm room philosophizing. Yeah. Like he wasn't that smart. He was very glib. He wasn't that much of an intellectual. But then it's, you know, you then have to compare it to the rest of the ruling class which is also kind of a group, especially after a certain amount, after a certain time, and you can debate when that was, not particularly impressive people either, right? With Nixon, Nixon actually did have some impressive attributes, but he was also incredibly insecure. Kissinger was kind of his his like intellectual and Jewish uh, exception, like his his ward against the Kennedy glamour in some ways. But then, you know, after that, uh, I I one of my little hobby horses is that I do think we've seen a degeneration of the elite. Um, I think that, especially as the Cold War receded, uh, it became just less important to produce impressive, thoughtful, really crafty, bastardly elites. And so the fake version, Henry Kissinger, who is performatively crafty, performatively... Uh, wicked and, uh, you know, uh, convoluted and and kind of thuggish impresses the hell out of them. And it is precisely, I, I, like you said, Isaac, like the whiff of the whiff of sulfur about it. Right. Yeah. Um, like, a, like just a really cheap uh, idea of like the devil.
1: But like riffing on that a little bit, I feel like he wouldn't be such an attractive symbol for members of the League. Were it not for the fact, like, I, I think that they would have venerated him less over time if the revelations were that he didn't kill that many
0: people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Like, that he did, wasn't involved yeah. in just a straight murder. Yeah. Like Renee Schneider. Because it's worth saying, really, all he did was he asked for him to be removed.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay? And the uh, the, the plotters came up with kidnapping. And if you say I want him removed, Mm -hmm. and they say, "Well, we tried to kidnap him, he died." Killing is part of your order.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like you know, it's like it's up there with like fucking Hillary Clinton. You know, Uh, we came, we saw, he died. Yeah, right. It's that same kind of nerdy bloodlust. And uh, I think I think it basically people who live these buttoned-up lives, you know.
1: I, yeah, I, I think he, he's become like a kind of like, like a, a saint, like a saint that dwells in like a backroom shrine Yeah, for like, the more like drone striking desk murderer generation, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like the people who meet in the room with like a conference between, you know, various members of the National Security Council and are like, well, we have these targets. Yeah. And if if we're like Henry Kissinger... We can have the, the you know, the, the spot or real or the, the components to really yeah, we can, make the hard choices yeah, to, to, and kill them.
0: To borrow, to borrow a term from a lesser criminal, uh, let's just fucking do it and be legends like Henry, right? <laughs> yes, uh, that's what they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and even, even the people who are at one point his worst enemies, the neocons, all came around to him. Uh, you know, the, he, he was in with the Bush people towards the end, uh, you, you know, because they're because at the end of the day, they're the same kind of people as like the neoliberal, you know, Hillary Clinton's and whoever else.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I was I was kind of clued into this by um, a guy who I actually haven't read in a long time. But I, I did read his book on um, why we love sociopaths mm. by Adam Kotzkoe. Mm. And the original essay, which he expanded into the book, it was really about like why there was such a lot in, particularly in like prestige television for having a character who uh, either has like no empathy for others or like no feeling for others, like your Tony Soprano or Dexter or whatever. Um, Sometimes with the conceit that they're like a biological psychopath, mm. or sometimes with the conceit that they're just like a sociopath.
0: Right. Yeah. Like Dexter couldn't quite help it. He had yeah. like childhood trauma that in a cinematic, probably inaccurate way.
1: Whereas like Tony Soprano or like Kevin Spacey's character from House Cars, like they're just yeah. unfeeling bad guy. Yeah. But he thought it was a way for. You know, a a group of people who watch this and want to get away from the complexity and the kind of impinging upon you of the the social Mm -hmm. society of having a fantasy where like that doesn't affect them at all. Yeah. And it's particularly a fantasy, you know, in a different way for ruling class people. Mm -hmm. So he says for every like average Joe saying to himself, quote, I wish I was like Tony Soprano then. There's a member of a ruling class saying to himself, you know, I am kind of like Tony Soprano. It's not always pretty, but I do what needs to be done. Right. And he says this in particular about like, you know, there's probably some bond trader there, you know, screwing over Puerto Rico or something like that. Who's like, you know what? I'm a little like Tony Soprano. It's tough, but I do what needs to be done.
0: Yeah, which is, which, you know, and nobody ever says... Well, why does Tony Soprano need to do it? Because otherwise, there he he runs a gambling empire.
1: The bottom thing is an institution, gentlemen. Yeah. yeah, we need to
0: we keep, need to keep it. it in business. Yeah, yeah. So, in, all the strippers will get fired. Yeah.
1: At so. the end, it, it it's kind of like that, like revelation at the end of Marathon Man, where it's like you did all this just for some fucking gold. Yeah. All of this, yeah. all these dead people or for that,
0: note, right? Yeah, but for a little bit of money. A little bit of money.
1: And in the end, that's how you should see Henry Kissinger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He might have had a long, good life on the back half of it, but, you know, pretty shitty if he did all that for a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do have to do one more thing, which is acknowledge our, our illustrious sources mm-hmm. on this episode. Uh, we have many primary sources that are supplied from the National Security Archive. Mm-hmm. You should go up and look at it, particularly... Yeah the CIA, and uh, Chile anatomy assassination, uh, all of that is really run by Peter Cornblue and his staff. He has been the longest hunting Kissinger sleuth, as far as I can tell, and uh, one of the hardest working. He wrote a book, The Pinochet File, which includes uh, both lots about Schneider and lots about much more, including the eventual coup that removed Allende. And also, I would say as a source, uh, Seymour Hersh's The Price of Power, Kinsinger in the Nixon White House from 1982, and uh, many articles from the Times, Washington Post, and uh, one from like a Nashville newspaper who printed some kind of, that someone took a chance on, that their wire service would carry a, an article from Chile, but uh, that was very interesting. So on that good note that we just ended on, yep. listeners, a non-depressing note. See you next time. See ya. With more offer. bye